Good morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here and delighted to be with you, and let's pray. Dear God, we have heard so many words and had a chance to sing and give praise to you and reflect a bit as we've done that on all there is to know about this good news that you're God with us. We again offer ourselves to you in this time. I pray that you would speak to my brothers and sisters here, that people would leave strengthened and encouraged because we've been here and made this time to be with you and each other. In your name, amen. Amen. Raise your hand if you like surprises. Almost everybody. Raise your hand if right now you have a surprise gift that you'll be giving somebody in a week. You already have. Raise your hand high. Look around. What if we took a second and everybody, on a count of three, I just said, we're all going to yell out what that gift is at the same time because no one will know, right? Of course, you wouldn't do that. could take the surprise away, right? We as a church are celebrating surprises this morning. This whole story you've heard lessons and carols, the story of the Bible from Genesis to Jesus is a story of surprises because the big surprise is that God loves you and God loves me. You matter to God. The God of the universe loves you. That is a surprise. It's a surprise every day. And what you've heard this morning is a meta-narrative, a big story based on that foundation, this amazing surprise of God's amazing and loyal love to you and me. We have been looking the last several weeks at this idea of loyal love and this Hebrew word hesed, right? Raise your hand if you've heard that word before. Actually, all the way back to Genesis, right? Hesed, which means God's loyal, loving kindness. And God's story, Lessons and Carols, is a hesed story. Lessons and Carols is a hesed story from beginning to end. And it highlights God's loving desire to make right a broken world through the gift of Jesus, his son. Raise your hand if you think the world can be beautiful and amazing and stunning. Right? At a minimum, you're going to walk out and eat cookies in a little while that could be described all that way. Raise your hand if you think there's also brokenness and pain and sorrow in the world. Raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you experience some of that pain and brokenness and sorrow in the world. Me too. And so we all are desperate for a surprise, right? We need God's hesed. And again, as a church, we've been studying the last four Sundays now, the book of Ruth, a slice of this great hesed story. And we're gonna finish that study this morning. If you have a Bible and wanna open it, it's to Ruth 4, passage we read sort of in the middle of the passages you've heard read. We've been saying throughout the time that Ruth is really a four-act nonfiction play. Remember the first couple weeks I pulled the curtains across just to simulate this is really what's happening. At the end of every chapter, every act, the curtains kind of close and you're left with these hanging questions and they open back up at the beginning of each chapter. Let's do a little review because not all of you have been here every week. Some of you are home from college. Let's just walk briefly through, okay? Those of you who are here, help me. Okay, act one. Something terrible is happening in the beginning. What's terrible that's happening? Begins with an F. Famine. famine, right? There's famine in the land, which means there's no food. And so this little family decides to leave Israel. What city are they leaving from? Bethlehem, Bethlehem which means house of bread. And they go, and, and when, as an Israelite hearing this story, when we hear that news, what do we do? We go, ah, don't leave. And where do they go? 
to Moab, which we simulate is way out here, like outside the auditorium, outside the building. It's a place they should never go. If you're an Israelite, you're not supposed to associate with Moab. And in the early part of this story, in chapter one, this looks like a cautionary tale, right? We remember we said the first few verses, there's famine, it's judges, people are doing what's right in their own eye, their eyes. This family disobeys and they, the men in the family die. There's an older widow left, what's her name? Naomi, and then there's two younger widows. The, the prominent younger widow's name is Ruth. And they re- do something from Moab. What do they do? It's one word. It's the theme of chapter one. They return, right, to Israel at the end of the chapter. And as they return, Naomi's doing great, right? No, she's doing terrible, okay? And the end of that chapter, we wonder how they're gonna live, but we know they've come at the beginning of a harvest, a barley harvest. In the second chapter, Ruth gets up and she goes out to glean, right, to find food. And as she goes out to do this, she meets this upstanding, amazing man. What is his name? Boaz. And Boaz allows her to glean, right? And he doesn't just do that. He he does something for her, the key word of chapter two, which begins with B, which we said was blessing. They're all blessing, right? Boaz blesses Ruth. Ruth blesses Naomi. The people, the, the workers for Boaz bless him. Bless, 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 bless. But at the end of chapter two, what we find out is Ruth is working in Boaz's field for the barley and wheat harvest, which is about eight to 10 weeks. So it begs that question, curtains pull. Oh shoot, what are they gonna do after that? Johnny last week preached on chapter three and we find out what I would call sort of a redeeming romance. That's sort of the chapter three story, right? Naomi tells her to get up and to, and to make herself look beautiful and go out to Boaz as he's, threshing the wheat at the end of harvest. She wakes, she lies down at his feet, right? He wakes up. It's a huge surprise. It's sort of a romantic comedy mix of good intentions and surprise and hope. At our house, we'd say, ooh, that's a little racy. That seems a little racy. Johnny pointed that out last week. And what Ruth asked him to do, this is the key word of chapter three, is is to do what? It begins with R. Redeem which is his idea in Israel at the time that, that basically make right the situation that Naomi and Ruth are in. Look at the broad need, not just, there's apparently some land that Naomi owns that she's probably years before her family had, had leased to somebody that is gonna pass out of the family. And Ruth is a widow who could be taken into a family and bear children, which will carry that land on with Naomi's family. Boaz says, I will do that, except, because it's a good play, and this is the last act, something else is going on. What happens? What do we find out? The end of chapter three. There's another redeemer. There's this other guy who's actually supposed to be doing his job and hasn't. And so we're left, as the curtain closes with chapter three, wondering what will happen. Will Boaz be faithful, as he has said? What will this other guy do? We haven't met yet. Will Ruth and Boaz kiss? And even more deeply, what is God really like? Is God involved? So chapter four, you read a, heard a little bit of it, but chapter four, Boaz goes to the gate. This other redeemer comes through. Boaz brings the elders together for a legal meeting. 
He's really crafty, Boaz. He says, hey, there's this land in Naomi has, do you want to buy it to redeem and keep the land under her name? Which means he'll get the land as long as Naomi's alive. He'll keep it when she passes away. He'll live off the, the money of the land. It will spread his own inheritance, a win-win. He says, sure, I'll buy it. Boaz pulls the bait from the switch. Oh, that's great. You get Ruth and you need to take her as a wife and try to bear children, which means now that land will go to the other uh, redeemer and then it will return to Elimelech's family and whatever children Ruth bears and it'll go right back out of his inheritance. And he decides, ooh, I don't wanna do that. So Boaz says, then I will do it. They have this whole legal transaction about handing shoes back and forth. And then the section we heard is sort of the pronouncement and the blessing from the city elders and then the, the chorus, the women's chorus that we met at the end of chapter one. They're back on stage at the end of chapter four. This huge event. And then the, the, we hear this little reading, these little things that Boaz marries Ruth. They have a child. God gives him a child. The child's name is Obed. Oh, that's cool. Obed has a son. His name is Jesse. That's cool, a little more familiar. I feel like I've heard that before in the Bible. And then Jesse has a son, and his name is... <gasps> Surprise. Didn't see that coming. Surprises. Who here likes a surprise? What surprises about God's love are here for us in Ruth as we, as we cascade our way through the rest of Lessons and Carols and we head to Christmas? I want to do four highlights. Four surprises here. Surprise number one. Ruth shows us how God's Hesed love transforms us. What does it look like when God's Hesed love begins to move in our lives? It changes our identity and our understanding of ourselves. And it even gives us purpose. And you can see this in the beautiful way that Ruth is described through the four chapters, each act of the play. In chapter one, how do we meet Ruth? Who is she? She's a Moabite woman. And she's a widow. And she's a widow with no kids, so she's barren. She's far, far from God in the eyes of Israel because she's a Moabite. And then it's sad because she has no husband and no children. But then we begin, she, see, she begins to be described a different way. She's described as a daughter-in-law. And then Boaz calls her daughter. And then the city calls her a, man, a woman of character because she's out gleaning the food. Remember we said the Hebrew for how strong she is as girl boss, right? Like she's out there 20, 30 pounds of grain she's bringing home every day. And then she goes from being a daughter to a fiance, to a wife, to a mother, to a grandmother. Moabite woman, all the way to the grandmother of King David. Each step is increasingly intimate, valued, and as the nearer she draws to God, the more he demonstrates his hesed to her. Her world doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger and more beautiful and more purposeful. Her living in hesed and response to God's hesed actually doesn't just bless her and Naomi, it blesses the generations down through her family line. Again, she's not just seen as we finish as a woman, but as a wife and David's grandmother. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like my life lacks purpose. And what Ruth would say to you is, hey, 
throw yourself on God's hesed and you will know deeper purpose than you've ever known. This is super encouraging. You know, this is a great model as you think about your own relationship to God. You and I, in our relationship to God, start far away in Moab as well. We're as far as Ruth. That's what this story we've been hearing all morning says. And God leads us and we begin to migrate so that we suddenly we realize we're God's son and daughter. And we suddenly realize that we're valued and we suddenly realize God might have plans for us like being a wife or a husband or a mother or a friend or a blesser like Boaz. If you wanna know what's it look like to be a Christian, you could look at Ruth's migration and know in a new way. If you wanna know, could I ever be too far from God so that I couldn't return? We've covered this three times now because it's so important. Could you ever be too far and not return to God? No. And not only return, but been grafted into God's great story, this Hesed story yourself. So that's surprise number one. Surprise number two. Ruth gives us an example of the virtue God forms in us, what we begin to look like, and the virtue we should aspire to, because we've been given some agency, right? And here, it's again stunning in the beauty of this book. I've said this is perhaps the most beautiful book in the Bible. I love this book. What is the name of the guy who's supposed to be the first redeemer? What is his name? I mean, he's in the Bible, right? The Hebrew, as it goes through, what you get here is the narrator, again, doing such a brilliant job because it's, it, for sure Boaz knew his name at the gate. But what the Hebrew does is sort of blank that and says Boaz sees this guy. Several commentators say that the way you refer, would refer to that is it's like Mr. So-and-so came by. Another commentator said Joe Schmo is sort of how you think about it. Joe Schmo came through the gate. Why do you think the narrator did that? We know Boaz's name. We know Ruth's name. Naomi's name. The men in chapter one who disobeyed, all three of them, we still know their names. They get mentioned again at the end of chapter four. This guy, not even known. He was a part of Israel. I believe he's in heaven. I hope his name tag doesn't say the unknown redeemer of chapter four. Demonstrating this virtue, living out God's hesed, was going to cost him to buy the land, to have a child, when the land was going to go back to this family. It was going to affect his legacy. And so he decided not to do it, to guard his legacy. And what the narrator does, ironically, is that, you know, that very act damaged his legacy in the eyes of God. He blew it. He utterly blew it. In God's house and in God's family, down through the church, through centuries, down through this church, we are to be marked by Hesed, extending God's loyal, loving kindness to people in need who cannot graft it, find it, know of it themselves. Indeed, Christmas, uh, there, are, there are yards throughout Vienna and Northern Virginia with the symbol of Hesed, one of our favorite church symbols, in cardboard form, metal form, blow-up form. It's St. Nicholas, right? A fourth-century saint who demonstrated Hesed to the poor in the city of Mira, which is now in modern Turkey. Here, Boaz, Naomi, Ruth, loyal, loving kindness over and over and over. 
Do you want to be remembered in God's eyes? Then practice loyal, loving kindness to those in need. If you think over only of yourself, what the narrator is telling you is you are not even worth knowing. We don't even want to know your name. So a subtle push. How many of you are going to give gifts next Sunday? Probably all of us. Put a little time in. Think about how you're going to do that. Maybe be more excited about what you're giving than what you're getting. So that's surprise number two. Surprise number three. Ruth's endings, plural, remind us what a grand Hesed story we are in. We talked about the Ruth ending in chapter one. After verse six, this sense of a cautionary tale. Disobey, there's judgment, there's death. No redemption, no Hesed. But here, in these verses you heard this morning, there are two more endings. The book could actually end three different places. First, in verse 13, there's a wedding and a baby. Naomi's restored. It's a pretty fabulous story at that point. Naomi and Moab had no sons. They literally present Obed like a son to Naomi. All those what we call binary oppositions from chapter 1, empty to full, disobey to obey, have been redeemed. But then the narrator keeps filling it out, right? And he actually tells us the heritage from Obed to Jesse to David twice. And if we're in our theater seat, as soon as we hear her say David, we all sit up and go, whoa, 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 what did you say? Because now the story moved from an individual story, Naomi's story or Ruth's story, to a familiar story, right? Boaz and Naomi and Ruth are grafted into a bigger family to a national story, because if you're an Israelite and you heard that, you'd be like, holy smoke, that's King David. And if we keep reading to Matthew 1, you realize it's an eternal story. Individual, familial, national, eternal. Because surprise, again, whoa, 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 Ruth is David's grandmother, and Boaz is David's grandfather. What that means is that without Ruth, there's no David. Right? Not hard to do the math on that. Without your grandparents, no you. That also means without Ruth, there's no Jesus. There's no manger, no angels, no wise men, no Joseph, no Mary. Which also means without Ruth, there's no cross. There's no empty tomb. There's no Apostle Paul. There's no Catholic church. There's no Baptists. There's no Presbyterians. There's no independent churches. No, no vineyard churches. And even, dare I say it, there's no Anglican churches. But for Ruth, this Moabite woman who was too far for us to even notice her from God. This is a scholar, an Old Testament scholar named Daniel Block more than anyone else in the history of Israel. More than anyone else in the history of Israel. Ruth embodies the fundamental principle of the nation's ethic. You shall love your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That is a grand story. Because surprise, women in this story have intrinsic unbelievable value. A woman is the most important person in the history of Israel. 
And then surprise, God's Hesed story is much bigger than you and I expect or probably would create because it includes people we wouldn't necessarily expect, like Moabites. In this Hesed story, there's Jew and Gentile, Israelite and Moabite, and every tribe, tongue, and nation. Which mean, means that when we, the church, all of us, do this right, which is super hard because we're sinners, the Christian church is an ethnic mosaic that is a sign of heaven that should reflect Ruth and Boaz's family. Many of the books in the Old Testament, there's a series of five books that were read at different festivals in Israel. Do you know when Ruth was read out loud in the Old Testament Israelite church? It's read during Pentecost. What do we celebrate as a church during Pentecost? The good news of Jesus going to all the different nations who were in Israel at the temple in the early chapters of Acts. The story is way bigger than you and I understand. It's so grand. It's so stunning. It's so amazing. It's so surprising. Which brings me to my last surprise. This is such good news. There's no pithy slide. Just a long sentence. The Hesed story of Ruth reminds us that God's story is patient and vast, going on in the seen and the unseen to extend his Hesed love to the world, even when we are down, dusted, despairing, doubtful, and discouraged. And this is so stunningly beautiful that I, I almost can't do it. So if I start to cry, just drag me off the stage. We talked in the first week about our good friends Naomi and the narrator and how gentle and kind the narrator was to Naomi. At the end of chapter one, Naomi was in despair from really terrible things. Her husband was dead. Her sons were dead. She had no children or grandchildren anymore. Her future was bleak and depressed and aching and despondent. And at the end of that chapter, she asked us to do something. Do you remember what she asked us to do? She asked us to change her name. From Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. And the reason she wanted us to call her Mara was because she was bitter and assumed that God had removed his hand from her. Change my name. Change my very name that I was given by my parents. Address me by my pain by my brokenness, by my hurt, by my sadness and confusion. Because what she believed then was that what she was feeling and experiencing and understanding about herself and her story was the full story. And she would have told you that she was in a no-hesed story at the end of chapter one. As we said a few weeks ago, her true feelings, which needed to be honored and listened to and walked with, in her mind, were the whole truth. What she was feeling was so deep that she literally wanted to be called Mara. Every day, every interaction, every time somebody said hello to her, call me by the pain and confusion and, and brokenness I feel inside. Her pain was blocking the sun 
And maybe you're here this morning and you, you see that and hear that and you go, I get that. I've known, I've known pain like that. I would change my name if I could. Maybe you look around the room and think, all these people here, if they, if they knew, they seem to have it all together, but they've never had a chapter one experience, but they've only known God's chesed. But what the narrator believes is that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz and Israel and you and me are still all a part of a chesed story. And y'all are smart, so I bet you caught this. But just in case you didn't, does the narrator ever call Naomi Mara in the book of Ruth? No. He never does. It might be the most stunning bit of artistry and silence in the entire Old Testament. He never calls her that. He's so patient and tender with her. He believes on her behalf that she's in a Hesed story still. So he keeps naming her according to God's story. Naomi, I know you think you're on the center stage of the play and your pain is so deep that we should all see that pain so much so that we say that is the only story at play. But in the background, in the wings, in ways you and I can't see, God's story is still at work, seen and unseen. A Hesed surprise is on the move. And the narrator holds her and us in this crafting, so we land at the end of chapter four. Surprise, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. Naomi redeemed and honored, and now David's great-grandmother. Now, I'm a Christian not because I've never been at the end of chapter one. I've been at the end of chapter one lots. I'm a Christian because I have a lot of friends who are good narrators, and because I've had a few chapter four endings of my own where I realized God was doing something. These Hesed surprises, where God continues to name me the way he names me, even though I would rather name myself according to my pain or my confusion or my finite understanding of my story. And if you're here this morning and you're wondering about what's this Christian thing, who is Jesus? Those of us who have been captured by this Hesed would basically say, we believe in a bigger Hesed story than maybe you've experienced before. And if, if you're here this morning, you feel like I am in deep pain in chapter one. Talk to Corky and Johnny and I. We, we would love to pray with you and again remind you that what we believe on your behalf is there is a bigger story at play. You might need somebody like the narrator for Naomi to believe it on your behalf right now. We will. So in a second, we're going to come to, to the table for communion. And I would encourage you to take a few minutes to think about, A, am I in that place? Would, would I, what would name would I say before God as I take communion and the elements from us? What name would you want God to say to you? Maybe you're going to bring 
a really honest name. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I really do feel like Mara. And I'll say to God, Lord, I give you Mara and believe that there's a bigger surprise story that you have for me, a Hesed story. Some of you, as you are waiting for communion, might want to think, because I bet this week we'll all go be with people who might feel like they're at the end of chapter one, who might need you to communicate God's Hesed story to them, who might be in pain or sorrow. You could take them to Ruth and say, look, I just, our church just did this amazing book. This is what I believe as a Christian. This is what we believe happens is that we get stitched in. Again, we just believe in a bigger, grander Hesed story than you might know right now. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you again for the privilege it is to, to soak in these words and to see that how stunning your story is. First, I want to lift up anybody, Lord, this morning who is in such pain that they cannot see the sun, that they believe they're in a no-hesed place, either through something they've done or something they've experienced or something that's been done to them. Clinging to the words we've heard this morning, we lift them up to you, whether we know them even here in this room or not, and say, would you please visit on them your deep love as they are here this morning? And Lord, again, would you send us out at the end of this service, into this broken world, to live out this Hesed story in the places where we go this week, the families we're with, the relatives we're with, the travel we have, Watch over these men and women that we might not just know your hesed, but express it to those we're with. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It came upon a midnight clear that Just